we're continuing on in, uh, before I start that, uh, so this Sunday is our, our five years, so it's our five year celebration, okay, it's our five year anniversary as a church, and uh, it's a blessing, uh, that's September 4th, so there's going to be a couple announcements this Sunday for sure, but then the potluck is going to be on September 11th, the following Sunday, so we're going to have a potluck after church on September 11th, but this Sunday is going to be awesome too, because it's five years, so God is faithful, and uh, we just continually praise Him. We're along for the ride as He's leading. So um, so we're in Numbers chapter 7 tonight. I tried to uh, get through numbers, numbers through 5, 6, and 7, but I got 5 and 6. So number 7, we're basically going to summarize. Um, it's very repetitive, but it's still obviously good, that the topic of Numbers chapter 7 is a generous people. A generous people. Numbers, number seven is the second longest chapter in the Bible. It, it is redundant. You know, it, it's talking about giving of, uh, of shekels, talking about giving incense, giving uh, sacrifices, offering silver platters, offering gold platters, offering a whole bunch of stuff. So the leaders would give, obviously. And so that is what the whole thing is about. So Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. This is the second. It's all about God's word. And so this is the second longest chapter in the Bible, and it is about giving to God, actually. So, so as we take in the word, we're, we're called to, to give to God. And this chapter, it's all about the, the leaders giving. And I like what Jesus says in Luke 16.10. He says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. So in other words, like, like giving is proof of spiritual maturity and growth. One of the qualifications in, uh, in this church is, uh, is investing in eternity, right? And you can talk about your resources for sure, but also in many other ways. Right? We can give in so many ways. Like as believers, as Christians, as Christ followers, we should be able to give in all the different ways, whether it's prayer or an ear to someone who needs just someone to listen, uh, godly counsel, biblical counsel. Like We can give in so many ways, but really it's proof of maturity that we're not just here to get, but we're here to give. And each time we give, we become more like our Heavenly Father who is a giver. I mean, think about how much God has given to us. But when we hold back, we become, someone, one commentator said, when we hold back, we become more like the enemy who is what? He's a thief and a robber. The enemy doesn't give at all. He gives heartache, right, and discouragement. Luke, or Mark 9.41, Jesus says, For whoever gives you a cup of cold water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So it's not just about monetary. It's not just about money. It's like give a cup of cold water to someone who's in need. There's a multitude of ways to give. I just love just thinking back, you know, through the years, Going to Peru the first year we went, I gave like all my clothes away because all these kids and these these teenagers had nothing, right? They had like one pair of everything, like one pair of clothes. They wore the same thing every day, all week, all the time. So, um, but the next time we get, but we were we were prepared the next time because we bought shoes, we bought clothes, we got all kinds of stuff to give away and school stuff. They just didn't have anything, right? And so it's like, what a blessing that we got to give to them. Um, Nicaragua, when I went, they we had a men's conference there. And uh, we gave a whole bunch of books away, like you know, Christian books, you know, in Spanish, and that was awesome. In Africa, you know, you guys, our small church raised a whole bunch of money to give them a whole bunch of stuff, like 60 
houses were lit with, with light for the first time, at, uh, school supply, all kinds of stuff. It's amazing. And so I, I just, I'm still, I will be blown away probably until the end of time that our little church is able to do so much. Just a blessing. But Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Jesus says this, and I'm sure you guys are familiar with this verse, but it says, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so God cares about us being givers. Like, he knows we can easily be swept away by worldly stuff. You know, he, he knows that. He knows we have a tendency to find comfort in carnal things, to find comfort in material stuff, to find security in those things that we have. To fix this, we need to live for eternal rewards, not worldly possessions. And so the important thing in this chapter, in chapter 7, uh, on the 12 successive days, each of the tribal leaders brought identical gifts. And God took notice of each gift. He took notice of each leader. He took notice of each tribe. And these gifts were costly, but they were generous. The gifts demonstrated generosity and practicality. Silver plates, bowls of the golden dish were needed for the priest to minister in the tabernacle. So they gave in ways that were practical that could be used for the, the sanctuary, if you will, like the tabernacle. The leaders each gave 21 animals, 252 in total. And I love that the point here is that nobody was overlooked. God saw it all. Nobody was overlooked. No one was no, lost in the crowd. Everyone was seen. And that's just a good general principle, a good general point and good truth that God sees you. Sometimes we have a tendency to feel unseen. No one understands. No one knows what I'm going through. No one gets it. I feel so alone. God sees you. He knows the heartache that you're going through. He knows the difficulty that you went through last season or the difficulty that you're facing this season or the difficulty in storms that will present themselves this, the next season. God knows. He sees you. But he wants us to be, to be generous, for, for he was generous in thinking, think about it, like he was generous in giving his only son to be sacrificed for us. So blessing, God gives, so we are to be known as givers. Essentially, that's chapter seven. Chapter eight is what we're focusing on tonight. So, so we're still looking at the events that occurred in the camp of Israel at Mount Sinai on the day the tabernacle was put together and dedicated to God. So in the holy place of the tabernacle, before the veil, Moses would speak to God, and God would speak to Moses from the mercy seat. And then Moses would relay God's words to the people of Israel. Uh, Exodus 33:11 uh, says, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So in chapters 8 through chapters 10, we'll see a couple of things. Number one, divine revelation. And number two, divinely chosen leadership. Eight through ten. Reading through eight tonight, probably nine uh, the next time. Not next week, but the week after. And then ten the week after that. So, But I've been good, doing good. I went through four chapters one Sunday and two chapters the next Sunday. So we're cruising. Come on. So uh, 
couple of things, divine revelation and divinely chosen leadership. So under the new covenant, we're all a holy priesthood, as 1 Peter 2 says, but also the Lord has given spiritual leaders to his people, and these leaders, so long as they're obeying God, they can be followed, right? We want leaders that that are godly examples to us, right? Like another big influential pastor recently, like admitted to doing some stuff, like online, right? And it wasn't sexual in nature, but it was not appropriate. And so, and so he's not a leader right now. Like he stepped down right away. And it's like, we have to be on guard. We have to be aware. We have to be careful. We have to have accountability. And so that's part of leadership. Can't be a good leader if you're not a good example, right? God spoke to Moses about three important matters in these chapters. Number one, caring for the lamps in chapter eight, one through four. Number two, dedicating the Levites. And number three, obeying his guidance. So caring for the lamps, dedicating the Levites, and obeying his guidance. So let's pray, and then we're going to get into chapter eight, start reading these verses here. Well, Heavenly Father, again, we just thank you for your word. We just thank you for even chapter seven as we surveyed it, Lord, and saw that you are a giver, Lord, and in return, we get to give. Look, we don't have to. We get to. We're just so blessed by all that you give us, Lord, all that you bless us with. It's overwhelming sometimes to think about it, Lord. And we just pray that we wouldn't take anything for granted, Lord, that we would glorify you through it all. God, and even as we look at leadership in verses 8 through 10, we pray that you would help us to glean the truths that you want us to glean through these chapters. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse, or chapter 8, verse 1 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you arrange the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. And Aaron did so, and he arranged the lamps to face toward the front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded Moses. Now this workmanship of the lampstand was hammered gold. From its shaft to its uh, flowers, it was hammered work according to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses, so he made the lampstand. So we've studied the organization of the tabernacle already, and the important part here is that when the tabernacle was dedicated to the Lord, God's glory moved in, and God's fire consumed the sacrifice on the altar, confirmation like, I am here, (laughs) like the Lord is present. But God did not light the seven lamps on the golden lampstand in the holy place. God did not do that. Aaron, the high priest, and his sons and their descendants had that uh, divine responsibility of trimming the wicks and and adding oil and and making sure the light was shining. That was their responsibility. See, in chapter 7, Numbers was about offering gifts to God. Numbers chapter 8 is about serving God. And the lampstand was hammered out of one piece of gold weighing about 75 pounds. It had six branches and a central piece. Now, Aaron and the priests, they kept the oil replenished every morning and evening when they offered incense on the altar. Without the light, the priest couldn't see in order to minister in the holy place. In order for God's people to minister, they needed the light of the world to shine out of them, if you will. Like, that's what we need, right? The light was never to go out or be extinguished. It was to be continually lit, giving light to the inside. There was one thing added, though, in these verses. 
Aaron was to turn the lamps forward so the light would shine on the table of showbread and be diffused through the holy place. What does this signify? Well, since everything in the tabernacle speaks of the person and work of Christ, the lampstand is a symbol, a symbol of Christ as well. John 8:12 says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. 1 John 1, 5 says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. And how much darkness is in him? None, right. He is light. In him is no darkness at all. So it's only through God's revelation that we can see and understand spiritual truth. Like the lampstand was a reminder to the priest that Israel was called to be a light to the Gentile world. Isaiah, a couple of verses in Isaiah, Isaiah 42.6, says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. Isaiah 49.6, Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. That's a big responsibility. See, see Israel was to be a light to the world, but if they failed to obey God, what's going to happen then? Well, the light is going to be dim. It's going to go out. It's kind of like when hurricanes happen. You guys all know when hurricanes, the storm is bad, the light goes out. Right? What happens when the light goes out? Well, the, well, the first time our power went off for a long time, and um, everything in our fridge went bad. You know, it just it went rotten. So we're like, oh, that sucks. And then uh, later we learned that our freezer stuff could have been spared, but I threw it all away. <laughs> it, it, it would last. But the lights went out, and so stuff spoiled. It, it didn't stay good. We couldn't eat it. We had to trash it. Well, the light that is within us, the light that Jesus is within us needs to shine out. If it goes out, things will be rotten, things will spoil, things will be messed up. Like we are to let our light shine just as Christ is the light of the world. And so, so that's what would end up happening. Like it was partially the priest's fault. Like they had to keep the lights lit. Lamentations 4.13 and 14 says, because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in her midst the blood of the just, they wandered blind in the streets. They have defiled themselves with blood so that no one would touch their garments. Remember, like only God could see the priests in the holy place, yet that should have been enough to cause them to fully obey and to not compromise. But we sh here's the thing, though. We can, sit there, we can sit here all day and be like, you children of Israel, you idiots, what's wrong with you, you stupid sinners? We can do that, but let's not. Because listen, we shouldn't sit here and pass judgment on them all night, for we are to shine our lights in this crooked and perverse world as well. And we can be swept away and influenced in a second. One, we're one bad decision away from being backslidden. I mean, that should sober us up pretty quick. One take, we're one action away from being in sin. And it's not easy. 
it is not easy. There, there's difficulties that keep coming and reoccurring, and it's like, are you kidding me? Another thing? We just got this thing fixed. Now this thing breaks. We just got this thing paid. Now this bill is here. We, I just got extra hours of work, and now my wife got laid off. There's always something, right? It seems like we're navigating through problem, through stormy seas, right? And there's like a sunny day for about an hour, and then here, oh, look, there's another storm coming. Great. It's difficult. I understand. It is difficult. That's why we have to stick close to Jesus, right? We have to stay close to God. We have to stay consistent in our uh, spiritual habits, or else we will get swept away, or else we will get shipwrecked and drowned. We don't want that. We're one bad decision away from backsliding. And so Israel was represented by one lampstand, but local churches were represented by individual lampstands with Jesus in the midst as he leads, um, examines, and gives us counsel. And it's really laid out well in Revelation 1, 12 through 20. I'm going to read that. Revelation 1, 12 through 20 says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to, to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. <clears throat> his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in the furnace, and his voice was a sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth, when a sharp two-edged sword in his countenance was like the sun shining its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. All that to say, if a church's light is not shining as it should, the Lord could and should remove that lampstand. Right? Like if the light goes out, shut the church down. If the light goes out in this church, if we start just talking about whatever, uh, opinions or just politics nonstop or current events and we get rid of the word, the light has gone out. Shut it down. But here's a stark reminder for us today. Like if a, again, if a church's light is not shining as it should be, if it doesn't include God, God's word, if it doesn't include God's love, if it is not a witness for the gospel... Again, it should close its doors and never reopen. That's, it's so sobering to me. It causes me to, uh, to want to be like reverend and, and, and pray often for what God wants to do through this church. Because I'm not the leader of this church. God just has a calling for me to do this, but it's, he is the one that's leading. I'm, I, it's not like my ministry. This is the Lord's work. We're just here gathered together, each having our gifts and roles and talents to be able to implement and do within the church and outside the church in this city. But our, our local body of believers is here not to try to be the best or, or fight with others, you know, but to be a good witness of Jesus Christ. 
We're not to be like, we're better than that church because you know what they do? Like they do this, this, and this. Oh my goodness. They're no, we're here to get the truth out so souls can be affected, so lives can be changed, so chains can be broken, so restoration can happen. And I believe we're seeing all of this. In the last five years, I've seen so many things, and that's why there's one pastor I really respect, and he says every year, and he has a big old Calvary Chapel, right? But he's just like so humble, and he's like, every year I go, Lord, if you want me to step down and have someone else take over, since the beginning, it's been like decades, and he's like, Lord, if you want me to step down and have someone take over, Lord, I will. And he prays, he seriously goes away and prays about it every year. And so he wants to be obedient to the calling. You know, he knows it's not him that built the thing, it's the Lord. Remember too, so remember too, the oil, the oil for the lamps is a symbol, remember, of the Holy Spirit of the Lord who empowers us to witness for Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to witness. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 says it beautifully. This was my old pastor's church verse right when you walked up the stairs. We were above an IHOP. We were about the same size as this building, but we were above an IHOP. So it's like um, where you walk up the stairs and the verse is huge, all, you know, just right on the wall right there. And, and, and it says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I need to depend upon the Holy Spirit to lead this church as a whole, to lead people individually, to lead my family, to lead this body of believers. I can't do it without them. I wouldn't want to try because that's striving. And then striving is stupid. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying, striving is up because you're never get, you'll get the job done, but it may not please God because you're doing it the way you want to do rather than the way God wants to do it. I don't want to strive. I fight against that. And, and I'm so blessed to have my fiery wife to, to remind me, like, you're striving, pray about it. Okay. <laughs> she slows me down, and it's a good thing. Don't strive. Be led by his spirit. That's the only way. It's by his spirit things get built. Uh, I love what Jesus said in John 15, which is, without me you can do nothing. Without the Lord Jesus, without the Lord leading us, without the Holy Spirit, nothing, nothing of spiritual value will come. You could fake it like the Pharisees, but we don't want that. We want the genuine and the genuine is the Holy Spirit. And I, I love Acts 1.8, where Luke wrote Acts, right? He says, but you shall, it's, it's like the, the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, you know, which is their hometown, in Judea, which is a little further out, Samaria, which is way farther out, and the ends of the earth, which is everywhere. So he's basically, be a witness where you are right now, be a witness in your home, be a witness in your neighborhood, be a witness in your city, be a witness in your state, be a witness in the U.S., be a witness in wherever you go, basically. The only way to be a witness is to be led by the Holy Spirit, is to let him lead and not try to conjure it up on our own, not try to say, you know what, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. A church that is led and filled with the Spirit can face any hardship and still have courage to fulfill the Great Commission. You're not going to let hardship cause you to become idle. I've seen that too many times. Hardship comes, difficulties come, and people just stop. Now, is there a time to grieve? Absolutely. Let the grieving process happen. Is there, is there a time to slow down and just pray and collect yourself and be like, Lord, yes, that's what Jesus did. Um, 
We're going to see that actually this Sunday when he went into the mountain and prayed all night before he chose the 12 disciples the next day. But, I mean, think about the early church. They were together praying. They were together praying first, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the world was, was many came to faith. They preached, Peter preached, right, Acts 2, in power because of the Holy Spirit. Many came to faith. People were cut to the heart. I love that. <laughs> so speaking of that, let me, let me go to Acts. I want to read Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Acts 4, 23. And we're going to read a few verses here. Acts 4, 23 to 33. And it says, Acts 4, 23 to 33, it says, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God. You made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David has said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servant that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And they had prayed and the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And the multitude, the crowd, right, of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So when the way, which is what the early church was called, is called the way, was called, they faced persecution. Did they run away? No, they did not run away. They didn't stay there either and try to say, let's just conjure up and conjure up energy and strength and just try to do, see what happens, right? No, they prayed for boldness. They prayed for boldness. They prayed for courage because this wasn't an easy thing. It wasn't like, let's pray for boldness because that's just what we're supposed to do. We need to go through the ritualistic motion of praying for boldness. No, they prayed for boldness because they were probably afraid. They were probably like, okay, we might die now. Um, there's a bunch of enemies coming and we're scared. So let's pray. They prayed for boldness as they assembled together. And I love it because they prayed with humility, recognizing they were servants. And the result was they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So you want boldness? Pray for the leading and the filling of the Holy Spirit. He will give you boldness because without him, it's just all in vain. Now in verses 5 through 26, we see the dedicating of the temple. And remember, the Levites cared for the tabernacle. They, they took the structure down each march and each time they moved. They took it all down. They carried it during the move and then put it together in a new location. And so the Levites had to be set apart for the Lord. Verses 5 through 7, it says, chapter 8, Numbers, it says, 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially. Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them, sprinkle water of purification on them, and let them shave all their body and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. And then let them take a young bull with its grain offering, a fine flour mixed with oil, and shall take another young bull as a sin offering. So verses 5 through 7 makes it clear they had to be cleansed by water. Like Moses and Aaron probably were the ones to sprinkle the 22,000 Levites with water. And they would actually wouldn't do this like get in a group, we're going to like helicopter over. They had to like individually sprinkle them with water. Um, For full cleansing, the Levites had to shave their whole bodies and wash their clothes. So the Levites were then presented to God as a living uh, sacrifices. They had to be cleansed. And here's the thing about cleansing. Here's the thing about consecrating, consecration. Here's the thing about um, purification. Here's the thing about, you know, God refines us, right? It, it was like the other night I was drying dishes and I was in a hurry. And, uh, and so the, the dishwasher was going already. I love the dishwasher. It, it took me years to realize the benefits of the dishwasher, but man, it does way better than I do. So anyway, the dishwasher, but I had more dishes to do, so I was washing, I was washing a bowl and I was trying to dry really fast. You know, like, let's hurry up and dry because I got to do the next thing. And so I did it so fast that I dropped it and like shattered all over the floor. And then Lillian and, 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 and my wife were like, ah, <laughs> freaked out, you know. And I was just like, whatever. Like, because it, it, it was just a ceramic bowl and it shattered all over the floor. And I was like, I was thinking about that because I, we make funny spiritual parallels sometimes. And I was like, I was trying to hurry up and dry this thing and cleanse it and get this done. And I was thinking about refinement, you know, and I'm like, refining doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in an hour. It doesn't happen just because you got saved. It takes a lifetime. You know, when you accept the Lord, it's a process of him removing things from your life or, or, or uh, adding those spiritual elements in your life that you didn't have before. It's, it's, it's taking those worldly things out to put those spiritual things in, if you will. You can't rush refinement. You can, you can try, but... It might be a train wreck. It might be a bowl shattering on the kitchen floor. Like, refinement takes time. It does. It takes time. Cleansing takes time. And I, that's why I think I really, like, I love what Pastor Sandy Adams says. He says, at Calvary Chapel, Stone Mountain, he always says, this is a, a grace place, talking about the church. This is a grace place. If someone comes here at, off the street and they speak like a sailor and Maybe they're homeless. They live under a bridge and they smell also. Like, we're not to be like, who, who are you? No, 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 we can't have your kind in here. We're to take them in, love them, pray for them, fellowship with them, talk to them. One of the coolest things was when I went to my last church, when I started going, there was this guy who, he was, uh, he was homeless and one of the, pa- one of the assistant pastors would, would uh, pick him up every day and bring him to church. And, uh, I mean, he smelled. Like his smell lingered. It was very, it was, it was horrible. It was known. It was like, it was, and he had him in his car, but he kept coming to church. He kept hearing the word. He he got you know he got saved. He grew in the Lord, and he got a job, and then he started was able to afford you know people helped him out. And he was able to take sh- but like, they, we didn't say no 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 no. You there's a bunch of reasons you can't come in our building. Like no come in, have grace for people. A- allow room for refinement. Because we're all growing. You know, my dad's 75 years old. He's still growing in the Lord. 
It's not like you get, you know what, 65 age of retirement and also age of full refinement. Like, you don't, you don't like, attain refinement. Like, you're like, I'm here. Everyone look at me. I, I'm in a, I'm, I have wisdom. All Just come to me now. We're all growing. We're all works in progress until that day where our bodies go into the ground or are burned up and our souls go, spirits go to be with the Lord. It's like we're all works in progress. Don't rush refinement. Anyway, that was a huge tangent. Anyway, 8 through 14, verses 8 through 14. So the leaders of the tribes would put their hands on the Levites as an act of dedication, meaning you are our substitutes, serving God on our behalf. So then the Levites, in turn, would put their hands on the bulls, one as a sin offering, one as a burnt offering, and in other words, it wasn't enough to be cleansed and purified by the washing. It was also necessary to be cleansed by the blood. And of course, his blood is, is always a foreshadowing of Jesus, right? So, so the burnt offering spoke of their total dedication to the Lord. Total dedication, burned up completely. Like I am giving myself completely, surrendering, sacrificing my life for you, Lord. Totally. It's like when Jesus called the disciples. We're going to look at this Sunday. It's like they had to leave what they were used to. That, that is not easy. It's not easy to make a huge whole life change, but, but it's worth it because you're following Jesus, and he's going he's gonna to grow you, and he's going to have you be in the mission and on the mission that he wants for you. And it's like, yes, this is what it's about. It's so amazing. But so verse 15 through 26, once these things were completed, the Levites could begin serving the Lord and helping the priests in their ministries. Numbers 4.3 says that the Levites' work began when they were about 30 years old. Numbers 8.24 says 25 was the age. Now it is thought that there was a five-year apprenticeship that the Levites had to go through. Like there was a lot to learn how to do and what to do. And it's almost like when, when, when I was serving the Lord in my last church, years ago, I, I was just sweeping and doing stuff around the office. Whatever needed to be done, I just got it done, right? I didn't ask. I just, like, I just did it, you know, and my pastor appreciated it. And so when he, when he approached me, I distinctly remember it was at El Segundo at our church office. I was sweeping outside in the front, and he came out to talk to me, and he was like, Pastor Dan, he was like, uh, He's like, hey, man, like, you're, you're, you've been faithful, and so we just want to start you off, like, with, you know, uh, the church wants to start you off with 12 hours a week, you know, to, to, to serve the Lord. I was like, I, it was like I won the lottery. I was so happy. My heart was jumping inside. Of course, there's a guy. I was like, oh, great. But inside, I was, like, so excited. I was, like, giddy like a kid, you know. I was like, it's amazing. Really? I actually get to, like, serve the Lord, and you're, I'm going to get compensated for something. It was so wild, you know, but I'm like, yes, because this is it's the only place I wanted to be. I just want to be at church all the time. All the groups, you know, everything. Like, what can I go to? Like, I want to go to everything. I just want to, whatever I can do. But there was a lot to learn. There was a lot to learn. It wasn't just like, okay, now you're a pastor. No, it's like, now you get to do more work. <laughs> now you get to be faithful with more. And then the more I was faithful, they were 24 hours, then, four, no, then 40 hours a week, you know, and then eventually uh, 60 hours a week, and I got burnt out and realized I had to give some ministries over to other people. But that's a different story. But I had to be faithful in the small things. God was teaching me all along the process. When, my, uh, when one pastor had me teach the college and career, it was a train wreck. It was a train You think I talk fast right now? I mean, I was like, like, I was, I don't even know, I was... I, I like it was like times three. It was it was so fast, and 
And I was like, just after I taught inside, I was like dying, like, I suck. I, why, I can't teach the Bible. And so um, I was totally discouraged, right? I wasn't like fishing for encouragement or anything. I was just like, oh my gosh. And we, there was this one, one girl that was friends with Brienne and Anistia and everyone, and she was uh, studying to become a doctor, and she was very sharp, but she, she was like, had the same personality, like, she's like, oh my gosh, I loved your teaching, I can't believe that, and she, she totally spoke, and so it encouraged me to be like, okay, wait, okay, thank you, Lord, but I was learning and growing, and it, we're in constant, we need to be constantly teachable as the Lord is teaching us, right, so there was this, it's thought that there was this five-year apprenticeship, so they would learn what to do, they would do things in the proper godly way. When the Levites turned 50 years old, they could still assist and help the priests, right? But they didn't have to do the more strenuous jobs or tasks, right? They were given grace. But, uh, but as we've been learning about the consecration and the Levites, I think we can learn a lot for, of Christian principles. I'm just going to give you a few since I'm totally running out of time. Number one, God is who chooses us, equips us, and consecrates us for the spiritual work. He's the one that chooses us, equips us, and consecrates us for the spiritual. Every priest had to come from Aaron's family, and no Levite was allowed to take the place of a priest. Levites were not permitted to serve at the altar where, uh, where priestly garments or enter the sanctuary. You can find that in Numbers 3, 4, 18, and Exodus 28. But please note that these restrictions, these restrictions didn't minimize the Levites' work and calling. We'll see in Numbers 16 and 17, way later, that some Levites attempted to invade the priesthood, and God judged them severely. There should be no competition in serving God, for, for each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor, the Bible says. Another Christian, uh, Christian principle, number two, serve the Lord and then his people. Serve the Lord and then his people, and oftentimes you serve the Lord by serving his people. We must be an offering to the Lord. Verse 13 says, and you shall stand, uh, you shall stand the Levites before Aaron and his sons and then offer them like a wave offering to the Lord. So we serve the Lord by serving his people. And our marching orders come from the Lord. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your bond servants, willing servants for Jesus' sake. We make ourselves servants. God calls us to give our lives and we just say yes. How, how do we, so we must do the Lord's work in two different ways. Simply, number one, cheerfully. It's not drudgery to serve the Lord. We can joyfully do it, cheerfully do it. Number two, carefully. Being reverent, fearing God, not being careless or flippant. So we serve the Lord cheerfully and carefully. And the third Christian principle we can learn from the consecration of the Levites is the Levites and the priests, they were obligated to protect the tabernacle from intruders. The priests and the Levites camped around the tabernacle entrance to protect it. Today, believers and Christian leaders are, are called to protect the church and the people of God. The Apostle Paul warns of this in Acts, Acts 20, 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Paul warned of the enemies from the outside and inside the church, actually Acts 20, 29 to 31, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. And so God's people should be on guard and alert and be courageous in confronting those trying to divide. See, so, so we see in chapter 7, giving to God. In chapter 8, we see specific tasks assigned by God for God's people. 